0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. As I mentioned, we finish off a series called The Search. It's been four weeks uh, looking through some of the big key topics that people... Would either type into Google or their lives when they are searching for god whether they 're searching for contentment, whether they 're searching for an other worldliness around them, whether they 're searching for an identity, and tonight we look at the search for assurance that is how can how, how can I be certain about Christianity if i can 't prove that God exists and just as a little side note, we could spend a whole message on it, but but nothing is really 100% provable in this world. The only things that are provable are mathematical theorems that lead themselves to answers that we can almost get to. They fit certain type of, types of rules. So in that way, we're always living with a sense of uncertainty. And you can see that, can't you, when you go to Dimmick's? Just go to the mind, body, spirit section of Dimmick's. And you'll see all sorts of different books on spiritualities and ways of life and parenting techniques. And and I, I go through there. You see all sorts of different titles. Titles like Searching for God in an Age of Doubt or Searching for God in a Digital Age. And what I notice, when I, when I read through these sorts of titles and these sorts of books, I don't read them all because I'd get kicked out of the store for reading too much. You've got to buy the stuff. Uh, when I read through, what, what's, what, what I realize is that the writers, they're terribly conflicted. They're, uh, and here's why. In the past, it would, have, it would not have been acceptable to say that I am searching. It wouldn't have been acceptable or respectable to say that you're a searcher, right? And we just didn't do that. But today it's very respectable. It's almost noble to say that you're searching. It's almost respectable and noble to say, I'm a searcher. And here's the thing that I realize. That we've we've reached a point in our society today where it's acceptable to say that I'm searching. What's not acceptable is to say that I have found something. And so that's why you probably wouldn't hear these titles saying, you know, finding God in an age of doubt or finding God in the digital age. Those sorts of books wouldn't sell because we live in a society, right, that says you can't know everything, there's uncertainty, you can't know, so don't tell me that I can find God. We're, we're all searching and, and, and ironically, all people like that are in a bit of a bind and here it is. You see, they've either got to be comfortable with not even searching for God at all <laughs> Or they've almost resigned themselves to a life of perpetual searching. And in fact, they don't even want to find God. You get what I'm saying? They're they're stuck. And I think the reason why the modern person's stuck is because they see religious people and they see religious institutions, and they say, I'm just as uh, peed off (laughs) at religious people as the other person down the street. I mean, religious people, they're more angry, they're more insecure, they're more hypocritical, there's more infighting, there's more politics inside (laughs) religious institutions. And so they make this assumption that, look, if I go searching and I find God, I'm going to end up like that. (laughs) Have you got friends that might be feeling like that tonight? Now, let me say, first and foremost, I agree with them. (laughs) I am put off by religious people as much as anyone else is. But the searcher now is stuck. They're stuck between the bind of on one side spiritual emptiness, and that's what we talked about in week two in the search for transcendence. You're stuck between having nothing in your life and no other worldliness, and you're stuck between the perception of these religious people and these religious institutions, and I don't want to get caught up with a religion and find God that way because they say they've found God and they're more angry and hypocritical. You get what I'm saying? They're stuck in a bind. Where do we go from? Where do we go? Do we live in this age of perpetual uncertainty? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. We're going to get into it in a sec. But are we going to live in this age of perpetual uncertainty? I'm uncertain about a lot of things. I'm uncertain whether it's going to rain tomorrow. I'm uncertain about the size of the surf. I'm uncertain as to whether I'm going to burn my head on my wife's hair straightener again this week. (laughs) Honesty is honest <laughs> the, the gambler in Vegas who's gone and taken his entire life savings and he's put it on number 23 is uncertain when that ball goes round and round and round where it's going to land and yet there's his life savings friends you can be uncertain about a lot of things and if you looked at the guy in Vegas you would say he's an idiot there's hardly any chance of the ball landing on number 23 or whatever it is. But friends, I've got to say tonight, and this is why it's so important that we're together for the next 30 minutes or so, because it's one thing to be uncertain about the GHD and the injuries that it can cause, but it's, a <laughs> it's another thing to be uncertain about God. The, Bi- the Bible says as seriously as it can, there are eternal consequences at stake now. Can we live in perpetual uncertainty? I don't know. Let's see what the Bible says. We're going to go to one of uh, my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 to 29. Deal is Paul's been arrested. He's on his way to Rome. He's in front of King Agrippa, who is actually... Uh, he's, he's leading over some Jewish people, and uh, he's actually a Jew himself. And so here's Paul in a courtroom-style setting, chains on him, speaking to the king, last defense before he gets shipped off to Rome, and this is what he says. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all in Judea, and to, get, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would, said would have happened. That the Christ, that is Jesus, would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying to you is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? (laughs) He's about to get jailed and Paul's trying to convert the king. (laughs) He gets a 10 out of 10 for evangelism school, doesn't he? What's he doing here? It's the question. If I can't prove that God exists, then how can I know that Christianity is true? How can I have that assurance when I'm searching for assurance. And what is Paul doing here? His his, his, his approach. Here's my approach tonight. Um, Paul was wine pressing Agrippa. When I say wine press, I don't know how much of winemakers we have here. We're all city slickers. But uh, a, a, a wine press, you, 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 never, you never fully understand the full flavor and the taste of the grape until its very essence has been squeezed out of it. And when you get that press, you, you push in and you push in and there's more and more and more and more pressure until all the juice comes out and that's how they make the lovely wine. And so here's where I'm getting at. You might have doubts about Christianity tonight and I've got to say that's okay. We're glad that you do have doubts. There are Christians with doubts here in Christianity tonight. But my question is, are you certain about your uncertainties with Christianity <laughs> That is, you might be saying, oh, if I can't prove God exists, then how can I know Christianity is true? And I'm saying, don't throw Christianity away just because you can't think about it like that. What, what, what I want to do tonight, I want to, get the wine, I want to get the wine press on you. I'm going to ask five questions. We'll, we'll start off nice. It's like a remedial massage tonight. You know, we'll, just, we'll just start warm and fuzzy, and, and I'll get a bit more pressure and a bit more pressure with the thumb as we go along. Are you guys cool with that? Five, five questions, five questions, which is inadvertently what Paul was doing tonight. The first question that I've got to ask you is, if you're uncertain about Christianity, the first question is, have you doubted your doubts? Have you doubted your doubts? Doubts are just uh, inherited, unprovable beliefs. We'll get to what that means in a second. But have you doubted your doubts? Have you got doubts about Christianity? What it shows us first is it's okay to doubt. It's like okay. lots of Christians have doubts. You don't need to have all of everything worked out. In, the, in verse 9 of this passage, Paul, we didn't read it, but he says Paul had his own doubts. He said, I too at one point was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's exactly what I did in Jerusalem. He thought these followers of the way, these Christians were a bunch of fruit Loops and he was out to crush the church. This is the guy that was writing this letter here. And then we see verse 19, So then King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the vision. (laughs) First to those in Damascus and then to Jerusalem and so on. This is a changed man. Uh, But this was a guy who had doubts. A couple couple of months back during the winter season, I got a flu shot. Anyone here have a flu shot? I mean, vaccinations are crazy. Just ask anyone in the Tweed region or Byron Bay. They'll tell you that they're crazy. But if you're a doctor... (laughs) vaccinations are an important thing. Why the heck would you inject your body with something that you know potentially could kill you? Because, of course, if you know science, the white blood cells gather around that, that, that enemy thought that is in your body and it, it kills it off and the body goes stronger. And so in that way, your doubts in Christianity are actually like injecting, in, in injecting a vaccination into you so that you can wrestle with those doubts and your faith becomes stronger. Faith without doubts is like a body without antibodies in it. So it's it's okay to doubt, but like I said, they're they're inherited, unprovable beliefs. You see, more importantly, you've got to doubt your doubts. You know, have you ever had someone say to you, one of your friends, "Oh look," they say it in such a nice way too. Look, I'm not a person of faith. I'm not. I'm not gullible like you. I'm I'm a scientific person, you know. I I, I reason, I think, (laughs) and I say to that nonsense: "We've all got faith. We've all got faith. We've all got faith." I can prove it to you now. Why are you so comfortable in that chair that you're sitting in right now? I mean, did you pull every screw apart? Did you make sure it was absolutely secure? One of you could go down in about three or four seconds. We just—you are sitting on a ticking time bomb tonight. (laughs) We've all got faith. We've all got faith. It's just, we've got a fierce faith. And so that is, the presence of doubt is not a lack of faith. It's just having faith in an alternate belief. That a a doubt in in point A is actually faith in its alternative B. That sounds a bit abstract, doesn't it? Um, How do I put it? Look, I, I, I doubted once that I liked boiled eggs, I thought they were nasty. I thought they were feral. I thought they were horrible. I'd never tasted one, but I swore to Nana that I would never eat one in my life until I tasted one. And I love boiled eggs. I've had a couple this week, and uh, I rejoice every time I have one. But... <laughs> Some of you might still think boiled eggs are nasty and tasteless. And, but uh, Look, here's the thing. We, we laugh about Sam and his boiled eggs, but what about God? Are you, are you treating your thoughts on God the way same way that Sam did with Nan and Boiled Eggs? I mean, are you writing him off before you've ever tasted what God and what Christianity is all about? And, and, and so, for, for example, these doubts, these, these inherited unprovable beliefs, they work on both sides of the spectrum. You see, for example, atheism is a belief. Atheism is not a fact or a truth. Atheism is a belief. Can you really 100% prove there is no God? I mean, even the poster boy of atheism, Richard Dawkins, agrees that he can't 100% prove that there is no God. He says this. He says he's a de facto atheist, very low probability but short of zero. Listen to what he quotes around about page 65 of his book, The God Delusion. He says, I don't know for certain, but I think God is very improbable. And I live my life on the assumption that he is not there. I live my life on the assumption. You guys hearing that? What is that? That's a faith statement, Richard. Atheism is a belief as well. Remember I said you can't 100% prove everything. And so all doubt arises from something that is alternative to a particular faith position. That is, there is nothing neutral in the world. You have to, at some point, make the decision that there either is or is is not a God. And so if anyone out there is saying, I would love to believe in Jesus, but I'm skeptical and I'm suspicious and I'm doubtful, then I need to ask you this. Have you doubted your doubts? Have you looked at the alternate belief underneath your doubts? You don't lack faith tonight. You've got a fierce faith just in something else. That is, are you as sceptical as your own alternate beliefs underneath everything as you are of Christianity? First question. Second question. Are you still with me? I'm going to get a little, apply a little bit more pressure now, if that's okay. We need to have like a safe word like penguin or something like that if we're just getting into it too much. Um, second question, what do you, if, if you already have a fierce faith, whether you believe in God or not, second question is what do you already have faith in? I love watching the Red Bull Flugtag, I think it's called. We've got any German or European people here? The Red Bull Flugtag. It's this crazy competition where people try and build planes out of cardboard boxes and also other sorts of rubbish material, and they run down a ramp that's like 20 metres high above a whole stack of water. You guys ever seen this? And they, they try and jump off the edge, and the the deal is whoever can fly the furthest... Uh, wins the competition at the end of the day. And some of the stacks are absolutely spectacular. And what I love about the Flugtag is no matter how big or how small or how crazy or how nutty uh, the, the flying machines are, you really know whether or not it's a flying machine the minute you step off the end of that ledge. And so therefore... It doesn't matter how high they jump or how hard they run. If that thing is not built to fly, it ain't going to fly. It's going to sink like a lead balloon. And so therefore, it's not the size of your faith that you have, but it's the object of your faith that you have. These people go in there with a lot of faith, some in cardboard, some in aerodynamic engineering. And it's got nothing to do with how big your faith is tonight. It's what you've placed it in. And the reason that we can't believe in Jesus is not that we're incapable of believing in Jesus. It's, it's because we've already got a faith in something else. Something else has already grabbed your heart. Something else is in the way. Faith in your achievements, faith in your circumstances, faith in your way of life. And so when people say, I'm not sure if I can believe in God, I'm not sure if I have enough faith, I'm saying, look, you don't need more faith to believe in God. You just need to transfer whatever faith you have to God. And that is you can't avoid tonight betting your life on some sort of belief about God and the universe. Faith acts are inevitable. There's no such thing as neutrality. You will make a faith decision either way. And the question is then, is what you're putting your faith in when you get to the edge of that faith flug tug, is is what you've put your faith in trustworthy? Question number two. Number three. Is your uncertainty about God really about faith or is it about your desire for freedom? Bob Dylan, I always quote him, says, You might like to sing, you might like to dance, you might be a king or the ambassador to France, but you're going to serve somebody. Oh yeah, you're going to serve somebody. It might be the devil or the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You see, what's one of the major objections to Christianity? Oh, I don't want to believe in God. I don't want to give my life to Jesus because I don't want the restrictions, man. I want to be free. I want to live life my way. Uh, but outside of Christianity, I've got to ask you, are you really, really free? I was watching World's Hardest Prisons a couple of weeks back, as I do. I'm in a really sharing mood tonight, aren't I? <laughs> Anyways, watching, watching World's Hardest Prisons and... Um, and this this guy, this big gnarly guy who'd been in prison for over 30 years, it tracked his walk back out into the free world, actually tracked what had happened to him when he actually had the absence of the bars around him. What was phenomenal at the end of the documentary for the hour or so was that he he burst into tears and he says, oh, I, I, I can't explain it, but I miss it. And, he's, and this guy, gnarly guy that you would not want to meet in the street breaks down and through the tears he says, how could I miss something so terrible? He was so used to life in prison <laughs> that even in the presence of what you and I would call freedom, the guy was, he was not free. He really wasn't free at all. And so whether we like it or not, our biggest problem is that in the face of the external freedom that we experience right now, we're not truly free. That is, if we dare to admit it to ourselves, if we dare to admit it to ourselves, we're spiritually imprisoned, we're spiritually enthralled, imprisoned by money or career or status or prison, but it's not the God of the universe. We're enthralled to something. And the funny thing is, if you're finally lucky enough to get all of this in your life, are you going to be happy? Probably not. We talked about that week one, right? And the secret to contentment. That, that, that these things, if, if we dare to admit it, as Dylan says, we're serving somebody or something. If you're living for something that's finite, then if your bottom line is finite, then you'll always be enslaved. And here's why. Because you'll always be a servant to your circumstances. There's no beyond. And that if your circumstances stuff up and your life stuffs up, then you're going to feel stuffed up. That you're going to feel enslaved. That if your circumstances are threatened, you'll be filled with fear. If your circumstances are blocked, you'll be angry with that person. If your circumstances are irrecoverable, you know, some people feel like they want to die. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. If we all serve something, there is either a God, little g, or the God, big capital G. And I tell you, those little g gods in your life. If you fail them, they will never forgive you. They are unforgiving. Get them, they'll never satisfy you. Get the only true God and when you fail him, he'll forgive you. And so the question is, are you truly free? Are you truly free? Are we okay? No penguins yet? All right, Well, safe word. Number four, this is, we're warm now. We're, it, we're warm, aren't we? Right, okay. Because this is what I've got to ask you now. This is where we start to press into the knot. <laughs> um, is, is your uncertainty about God, is it really about belief or is it about being the boss? <laughs> My wife, Kristen, and I, we have a game. I, I'm not sure if it's really a game now these days. It's getting a little bit concerning. Maybe we need to chat it through with GA or something. But we say to each other, I'm the boss. And then she says, no, I'm the boss. And then I say, no, I'm the boss. And then she says, I'm the boss. And eventually I go, yeah, you're the boss. But... Um, <laughs> Why is it so hard for us to be resolved in, in working out who the boss, who's the boss? It's, it's, it's problematic because it's a relationship. We're, we're dynamic, we're persons. <laughs> and and i put it to you tonight that belief in Christianity is probably problematic because it's a relationship. It's like a marriage. Belief in Christianity is like a marriage. And this guy, Jesus, comes in. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father except by me. And we hear these statements and questions begin to arise. And we're saying, hang on, what about my doubts? I've got all these intellectual doubts. And what about my suffering if the God of the Bible is so good and loving? you know, Why is there so much evil in the world? And we ask all these questions and that won't work. And here's why. Because when you ask those questions, you're treating Christianity and God like like a philosophy. And it's not a philosophy. It's a relationship. <laughs> if it was a philosophy, then, of course, all those questions, you could probably start with that. If it was therapy, you could probably start with that. But Christianity is not therapy because this book, the New Testament, it's so narrow-minded. It's always asking you the, just one question. Matthew 16, he gets all the boys around up on top of a hill at Caesarea Philippi and he says to them, Hey, guys, who, who do you say that I am? Am I a prophet? Am I a guy with good teaching? And Peter says, no, you're the son of God. And so the, the, the New Testament is so narrow-minded. The Bible's always asking you, the, the question that you first have to deal with is, who do you say I am? Who do you say that this Jesus guy is? <laughs> and so I put it to you tonight that often the problem with Christianity is not the questions or the doubts, but that it's too personal. Christianity is first and foremost about accepting the person, not the principles. (laughs) And you're saying, hang on, you're not answering the question. You're trying to wriggle out of it, Sam. Um, Look, you're saying, I'm at a bottleneck. I can't believe in the virgin birth and I can't believe in the accuracy of the Bible and I can't believe in these stories and accounts about creation and I can't believe in this sort of stuff. And I say, look, is the problem really intellectual or is the problem personal? (laughs) People really hate that Jesus makes these exclusive claims that he says, if I'm going to be in your life, there can be no half ways and there can be no gray zones. I have to be the number one. And they, oh, they hate that. And they say, why the heck should he be the only way and the only truth and the only way to God? Don't you see? Don't you see? It's because he's a person. And if any of you have been in a relationship tonight, you understand that the minute that you come into a relationship with, with a person, with someone, there's restrictions upon you. You lose part of control over your life. And that's, if that's the key to any relationship, would it not make sense? And would it not be that much to expect that the God of this universe would expect the very same thing with you? He just says tonight, well, here's what he's, this is how you become the Christian. This is how you become a Christian. It's really easy. At the end of the service, it's like Kristen and I when we banter. You eventually come to the realization where you turn to him and said, "Okay, you're the boss." (laughs) That's as simple as Christianity gets tonight. Fifth one. No one said penguin yet, so we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Fifth question: What? What if it's true? What if all of this is true? That's what Paul was saying, wasn't he? He says here in verse 25, he says of Acts chapter 26, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus." Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. And none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. You know, what's Paul doing here? (laughs) What was Paul doing in the courtroom? He was preaching... The resurrection. Did he, say, did he say to the king, Look, oh, yeah, just get gullible. Just get warm and fluffy. Just open up your heart. Search your heart, search your soul. Now oh, that's Brian Adams. Um, <laughs> no, he, he, he brought out the objectivity of Christianity. Uh, he didn't say, oh, just believe. He based the truth in Jesus as a historical event. Can you imagine the scene? The boys, Festus and Agrippa. Festus was a, the king's offsider. Uh, he was like the Barry O'Farrell of the Judean region. And so he, he's, they're all having a laugh at Paul. He's saying, is this, this Paul, he's, he's crazy, man. He's loco. Yeah, this Paul, this Paul's, this Paul's a nutcase. Is, is he crazy? And, and, and Paul turns to Festus and he says, Festus, ask, the gripmeister. Ask ask what he said. A grip is a Jew. He was like me. He's been there. He knows how determined I was to crush the church. He's heard of my name. He knows the schools that I've been to. He's seen all of this. He knows that I'm a changed man. And now ask him about this because it was not done in a corner. And you've got to imagine, Paul, Paul was like the Danny DeVito of the Jewish world. He was a short, ugly-looking, hooked-nosed, broken-legged sort of dude. He was not an attractive sort of guy, so his persuasion was never in his looks. But he, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks all about all the different trials that he's faced. He was in prison. He was flogged. He faced death. He received 39 lashes. He was beaten with a rod. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times, spent a day and night at sea. He was in continual danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles, danger in the city, in a country, and at sea from false brothers. He was weary and pain and often without sleep. He was often hungry and thirsty, cold and naked. And he was continually concerned about the health of all his churches. <sighs> He's 20 years into his ministry. He's been through all of that. He's still saying, I was not disobedient to the vision. Does this sound like the sort of guy who would go through all that because he was crazy? He saw a resurrected, alive, breathing, real Jesus Christ. And in fact, people say that the conversion from Saul to Paul is the proof that Christianity is a divine religion. He lived and breathed and worked in cities that you can go to in modern Europe today. And Paul based his testimony on the historical evidence of Jesus on the resurrection. And it's important to note, N.T. Wright, a biblical writer, wrote an 800-page book on the resurrection. And so you don't have to read it. The summary of it really pretty much says that the concept of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was as stupid and absurd and as gullible statement to first century Jewish people as it was to you and I tonight. (laughs) Off the back of that statement, Christianity exploded. It went nuts through the countryside. What if it's true? You see, if you're going to dismiss Christianity tonight... As a human construct of the mind, because maybe the disciples were hallucinating and they thought, they might have thought that they've seen Jesus. You need to have a look at guys like Paul and realize that the gospel is not that intellectual. Rather, it's to weigh up all the evidence, the fact that it was a crazy statement, the fact that we somehow have to account for the birth of the church, the fact that we have to account for a movement that within 100 years of its beginning turned the countryside upside down, converted hundreds of thousands of people, has more followers today than, can you believe it, the Coney video. Right, And how long did the Coney video last for? It had 64 million hits and it lasted for a couple of months. (laughs) Christianity's been gone for a couple of thousand years. How do you account for what happened? Christianity hasn't happened in a corner. Uh, An atheist guy, this is how he accounts for it. Blaise Pascal, philosopher, scientist, mathematician and previous atheist came up with a thing called Pascal's Wager. He says this, God is or he is not. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. According to reason, you can defend neither of the propositions. You must wager. It's not optional. So you know what he's saying? There's no neutral ground. Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. There is here an infinity of an infinite happy life to gain, a chance of gain against a finite number of chances of loss. And what you stake is finite. And so our proposition is of infinite force when there is the finite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and of loss and the infinite to gain. Summary: you have everything to gain tonight through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything. If you want to make a bit each way. What if it's true? <laughs> what if it's true? Some of you sitting here thinking, <laughs> do you seriously think in such a short time, Sam, you can convince me to be a Christian? Ah, <laughs> oh, well, I do hope, friend, that you become everything that I am except for this funky haircut. But seriously, um, if you are uncertain about Christianity at the least, please do not be superficial and lazy in your uncertainty. Make sure that your lack of certainty is not just laziness. Have you given your hidden alternatives to Christianity the full once over? That is, have you doubted your doubts? Have you looked at the alternatives that you have faith in? Have you considered whether or not you're truly free tonight? Uh, Have you considered whether or not you still want to be the boss? Or have you ever asked or wondered and, and asked the question, what if this stuff is true? To someone who says, I can't be certain about God because I can't prove he exists. Look, all I've got to say to you tonight is that you're already certain about something. It's just not Jesus Christ. You, you, you're, you're certain about career. You're certain about money. You're certain about security. You're certain about your friends. You're certain about partying. You're certain about your way of life. <laughs> but I tell you, if these little G-Gods, fail you and if you fail them they will crush you get them they will never satisfy you get the only capital g god that when you fail him he forgives you are you in a bind tonight the bind between that sense of spiritual emptiness and are you in the bind of being turned off by religious people (laughs) i'm with you but there's a way out there's a way out of that uncertainty tonight the bible says Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will open. And so in the next few minutes now as we head to this time to to prayer, you know, we are moving to what I call in church a flugtag moment. (laughs) That either way, either actively through heading up the back tonight and praying or passively by just walking out the door and thinking Sam's a crazy man like that guy called Paul. Either way, you're making a faith decision tonight. You're having a flugtag moment. And so my question is, will what you are trusting truly fly? I'm not asking you to increase your faith. I'm not asking you to find faith. I'm asking you to just transfer your faith. What are you holding on to that's dear in your life? God? Great. Awesome. Christians, let's go live a life of tenacity and of wonder and of witness like the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but is it something else? You just got to transfer your trust to Jesus Christ right now. Let's pray.